Hello and welcome to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. Not just for Louisiana, but for the entire northern Gulf Coast. And now, introducing your host, Alan DeRitter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's version of Monday Night Football. I, I, I know that we've had a lot of technical difficulties this week, and uh, uh, but I'm determined we're going to get this show on the air. So we always start off our show with a prayer. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear God, help us to know whether or not everything that we do is your will. I really do believe this show is your will. We've been on the air so long. I pray that we'll be able to continue to honor you and continue to make the soccer community an example to the rest of the world that we can have differences, but still get along. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. I'm sorry for all the problems that we've had getting the show up. The show is worth getting up, okay? Because I'm, I'm excited that we have Nick Chancy, who is, in my opinion, an expert on the rules, okay? It's one thing to go to a clinic or read a book or have to... Uh, we had to go to this uh, like webinar thing about all the rules and the rule changes. But one thing that we've lacked for the last few years is having a chance to talk to a referee and see what the rationale is behind the rule changes and how they're going to enforce it. Uh, I find that Nick lets us, as coaches, understand what they're thinking a whole lot better. Like, I understood the rules verbatim, but listening to Nick in the interview you're about to listen to really clarified for me what in the world these rules mean and how they're going to be enforced. I know there's some banter on the Facebook thing, like people picking on him, but uh, I do consider him an expert, and I think you will too if you listen to him. I want to thank uh, Club Soccer for sponsoring our shows this month. They're located across the street from Lafayette Park. I'm about to go make an order with them probably today. They are always there for you for the last minute orders and for the long term orders for your equipment and for your uniforms. Give a look at them. That's Club Soccer. All right, we'll see you right after the break. Everybody, welcome back to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. And we're glad to have on our show, Nick Chancy, who's one of the most now acclaimed referees in the state. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be back. Okay. I'm really looking forward to ha having your take on these new rules and explain them to us. Let's go right from the start with the first. I think that's rule 12. Rule 12, the difference between the yellow and the red card issued for the denying the obvious goal score and opportunity. And really what that boils down to is if the Number one, we take into account if the penalty kick is awarded for the foul. And number two, we have to take the foul type into account as well. So if an attacker is on a breakaway and a defender attempts to play the ball and he fouls the attacker or the goalkeeper attempts to play the ball and fouls the attacker and the result is a penalty kick, we're no longer going to show a red card and award the penalty kick. In this case, the, the penalty kick restores the goal-scoring opportunity. So in cases where defenders are going for the ball on obvious goal-scoring opportunities, then we will show the yellow card and we'll restore the goal-scoring opportunity with a penalty kick. This does not apply, let's say, for example, if a defender grabs the attacker's shirt on a breakaway, grabbing the shirt 
is not a play for the ball. It's not an attempt to play the ball. So in that case, we'll still show or denying the obvious goal scoring opportunity, whether that occurs inside or outside of the penalty area. If the penalty kick is not awarded and the foul occurs outside of the penalty area, then we're still going to show the red card if it denies the obvious goal scoring opportunity, whether it's an attempt to play the ball or not. And in cases where players handle the ball, it's still going to be red regardless of whether a penalty kick is awarded or not, if it denies the obvious goal scoring opportunity or denies a goal. Okay. So at least now, I've always hated to see kids kicked out of the game, especially the ones that are taught to foul, and now there's a chance for them to be able to stay in, correct? There is, as long as it's an attempt to play the ball. And the penalty kick restores the obvious goal-scoring opportunity. In this case, then, I think this makes the game better, don't you think? It does as well. It prevents the double jeopardy that was occurring when players would get shown the red card and the penalty kick would effectively enable another goal-scoring opportunity. By restoring the goal-scoring opportunity, we're giving players more chances to stay in the game. That if they were attempting to play the ball, maybe they deserve to stay in. Whereas we still have... If the player is not attempting to play the ball, if they're dragging the, the attacker down by the shirt or if they're grabbing him by the head or some something else that's not attempting to play the ball legitimately, then we'll still send that player off. My first playoff game at De La Salle and, uh, against Saint, defending state champion St. Thomas Moore, two minutes into the game. And uh, and by rule, you know, uh, he was the last defender. He got a red card. I had to b- report him to the state. We were down a man, and we had no chance from that point on. And I would have loved to have seen this rule in because the kid's such a good kid. He would never foul anybody on purpose. It just he stuck his foot in to try to get the ball, and the other kid was better than he, he was. So anyway, uh, in a, in a way, I, I could have benefited from this for years. So I'm kind of glad it, it's going through. Now, when it comes to the drop ball and the wall situation, this is going to change things for me a lot. Could you explain that for everybody? That's really two separate instances, the drop ball and the wall. So we'll talk a little bit about the drop ball first. Drop balls are no longer going to be contested restarts where you can have two or more players wildly kicking at each other at a drop ball. We're going to start dropping the ball to a single player, and there can be no teammates or opponents within four yards of that player. For an example, if there's an injury on the field and play is stopped, then the referee will award the drop ball to the team in possession. When play is stopped or the team that had last possessed the ball before play had stopped, we'll give the drop ball to one player alone of that team, and all teammates and opponents have to be at least four yards away. If this occurs within the penalty area, it doesn't matter who had it, then we'll drop the ball to the defending goalkeeper and that defending goalkeeper can pick the ball up and resume play as he normally would. Now, this is kind of far-fetched, but let's let's try this out. All right, so they're taking the goal kick. The ball goes about 30, 40 yards. Two players go up for the header. They both hit the ball at the same time, and the ball goes out of bounds. How's the referee going to interpret that? So for the simultaneous touch that the ball goes out of bounds, then we'll go back to the team that had possession prior to the simultaneous touch, and we'll award them the drop ball five yards inside of the field of play. From where it went out at, okay. So really a 50-50 ball in this case, 
becomes more than a 50-50 ball. It's going to encourage kids to challenge more in that situation. Anyway, I'm just thinking out loud when it comes to that. Do you think this is fair? I think that this new drop ball rule that catches up from club, we've been using it in club for a year now. There have been zero cases where players that are frustrated that participate in a drop ball might take wild swings or uh, uncoordinated swings at the ball. There have been cases where the, the ball has been kicked and another injury has occurred from a surprise ball being rocketed at you from one yard away. By dropping the ball to one player alone, that's effectively reduced those cases down to zero. It's got to be an indirect kick, correct? A drop ball is a, is a restart, and the player can uh, – He's not required to kick it or or anything like that. He can take the dribble from the drop ball. But in order for a goal to be scored, it must touch two players. So it's not exactly an indirect free kick because once the ball hits the ground, it's live. But in order for the goal to count, let's say, for example, a referee drops the ball, the player decides to take a shot on one hop and it goes straight into the opponent's goal, that goal is not going to count. In order for it to score from a drop ball, the ball has to touch at least two players. Okay, so if he is dribbling and some and it deflects off another player and he keeps possession, he can score. In that case, it would have touched two players, so the goal would be valid. Okay, good, good. Have you ever seen a drop ball where ten players crowded around it? I have not, and uh, it, it it seems pretty uh, wild and far fetched, but I'm I'm sure it's been tried in places. Yeah, I've I've heard about it actually, but not in, not around here. <laughs> okay, now when it comes to the wall, you and I've already talked about this. Let's talk to the audience though about this whole idea of this halo rule that we have with the wall. What's different about it? Okay, so when there's a defensive wall of three or more players, then all opponents must be at least one yard away from the wall. They can be in front or behind or on the side, but they must be at least one yard away from the wall as long as the defensive wall consists of three or more players. In those cases, the position of the defensive wall will take priority, so they'll be able to set up first. um, What this does is it prevents a lot of the pushing and shoving, maybe punches in the back that are shielded away from referees' views. So if an attacking player is within that one yard of the wall of three or more, the time that the ball is kicked, then we'll have an indirect free kick coming out. And like I had mentioned, what this does is it prevents unnecessary altercations from taking place at restarts. Okay, well, I have a couple of issues. I like to put a guy in the wall, okay, like in the middle of the wall by getting to the wall first, like not playing around, just knowing where 10 yards is and just standing still. Now he's going to be forced or she's going to be forced out of that wall when the wall sets up around him, right? Correct. Wow. They can still go one yard in front or one yard behind or one yard to the side. Yeah, well, the whole idea of getting him in the wall is to shoot the ball right at his chest so he can duck and that has access to the goal. One of my favorite plays in soccer, honestly, and I'm going to have to table that one. What about this now? I like to put a wall behind the wall. If you've ever seen that before. So that way you could chip over the wall and attack. I don't think this rule is going to affect that at all. If anything, it might help it because there'll be no contact. I, I don't know too much about coaching, but I, I don't think a wall behind a wall is a, is a pretty effective strategy. <laughs> I'll be the first to tell you I don't know anything about coaching. The spirit of the rule changes to prevent the unnecessary confrontations that are occurring when players are really fighting for that position. Okay, what usually happens is when you make that wall behind the wall, poorly coached teams 
mark those players. Now, can they mark those players? Like shoulder to shoulder? The way that I would interpret a, a wall, a wall would be right at that 10 yards or, or close to it. It would seem to be against the spirit of the rule. There's a free kick from 25 yards out and a team puts a wall of three defensive players on the goal line. It just doesn't – it seems to defeat the purpose and the spirit of that rule. Well, the thing is, if if I put my offensive wall – a yard behind their defensive wall, and then they mark those players 1v1. Now I've taken effectively seven to eight players out of the play, and I could play the ball diagonally to a 1v1. And that's the purpose of that. <laughs> so uh, I'm going ha- to see what's going to happen. Another thing that concerns me is I like to play directly. Like In other words, I don't wait for a second whistle. I don't care if another off- defensive player is standing two yards away from the ball or right, right on the ball. I'm afraid a referee is going to be so intent at trying to halo his set that they're, they're going to maybe blow the whistle. What are y'all being taught about that? So if if we have to get involved, then it should be a, ceremon- a ceremonial restart and we'll instruct the kickers to wait for the whistle. If we don't have to get involved, the attacking team wants to take a quick free kick. Of course, they're entitled to that right to go ahead and uh, take that free kick quick as long as there aren't extenuating circumstances such as uh, an injury that needs to get tended to or a card that needs to be issued. Right. I get that. Okay. This has nothing to do with the rule. I just want to get your expert opinion on this. I can't stand it when another team stands after they commit a foul, they stand right in front of the ball to to stop the free kick from being taken. I've seen this rule enforced differently constantly. To me, if a person's standing right over the ball and we're trying to take the kick, there's got to be a yellow card offense, but I'm not a referee. How do you interpret that? I would agree with you. There are certain times when we can get away with a word to that player. There are certain times when it may be a cautionable offense right away on the on the first case. We need to take a look at the game dynamics and see what the game needs at that point, what the players are um, are, are really trying to do there. Okay, well, I feel like I'm listening to Biden and Trump debating now. <laughs> so I think I understand what you're saying, but it's still going to be it's still going to be your your decision. Correct. Okay. Well, look, you're starting something new, which I can't wait for everybody to hear about. Could you promote it? Starting on November eighth, which should be right after the first couple of scrimmages on Sunday evenings at seven thirty, we're going to do a roundtable discussion. That's going to be a ten minute school-specific topic that coaches and referees and players and anyone else can take part in. Whenever we're done with that topic, then we'll open up for discussion on the topic or open discussion if coaches are looking for interpretations on what they hear. It's important to keep that line of communication open for everyone. Continuing education is important for everyone, coaches, referees, and players alike. I just think that having this open channel and this new opportunity for everyone to get together and really make something better for the student athletes once a week. We can review a certain rule or situation that's going on and make sure that everyone's on the same page and we can all expect the same thing when we're out there on the field. Okay, one thing that worries me about that is what if you get that coach, okay? That coach, the coach who wants to just argue about a call that was made, y'all just going to kick him out of the Zoom, or how do you think you're going to handle that? There's a, a reasonable expectation for decorum 
whenever we're having discussions away from the field. We're not there to name call or point fingers or anything else. That doesn't get anyone anywhere. So as long as we're having civil discussion, I'm all for it. I I know we got to go, but since I have you on the mic, I think referees, their fingers are on the pulse of of how soccer's going. You get to see all the teams and get to see them year in, year out, and see if things are getting better or worse. In your opinion, are things getting better or worse? I think things are absolutely getting better. I think the quality of play has been picking up, the quality of coaches. I think we have wonderful tools at our disposal, such as Zoom, that's going to allow us to form a closer relationship with the coaches and the referees statewide. With everything else, it takes time and work. And those are two things that I'm willing to put in in order for us to have a better relationship with the coaches statewide. COVID, are we going to have to wear masks on the sidelines? So LHSAA guidelines, we're going to have a pregame administrative conference. We're going to have a checklist that we're going to have to go over. And one of those things will be that coaches and players on the bench, people in the bench area, will have to be masked up. Referees will have to be masked up all the way until kickoff. And players will be masked up until they enter the field of play. Okay. I can live with that. All right. Could you tell everybody one more time how they can take part in that Zoom conference that you're going to be having weekly? Okay. So the the Zoom, I'm mainly putting the information on laprepsoccer.net and the referee section. I'll have that information there basically every Sunday morning for that Zoom to be on Sunday night. We're going to choose a topic to discuss But like I said, when we're done with that topic, we'll go ahead and we'll have open discussion. I'm hoping this can be a really good thing that we can take from this point forward and at least build on it for a better foundation, better relationship with the referees and the coaches. All right. Well, Nick, thank you very much for coming aboard. I hope to be able to have contact with you later on in this year to to see how everything's going, okay? Thank you, Alan. I appreciate it. God bless you. There you have it. I think the rules overall – are going to be good for stopping just the game from igniting out of control. But as you heard my bantering with them, I'm kind of concerned with how some of these rules are going to be interpreted, especially that halo rule. I have no trouble with the drop ball rule. I think that's going to go over well. I think when it comes to enforcing common sense, when it comes to PK fouls that award a PK, I think that's going to be healthy for the game. Now what we've got to make sure that happens is that every coach is educated themselves, at least listen to the show, and goes onto the field knowing that these changes are, are happening. And yes, coaches, I know. I'm frustrated because we are students of the game and FIFA rules. We really believe a lot of us reign supreme, but children are children. That's the reason why we have open substitution and the like. It protects them from injury and harm. I'm not a real big fan of open substitution, but we've had it since I started coaching high school, and that's just one example of how we changed the rules of the game in order to benefit the kids. And So now we got got three more changes there. So anyway, I want to just let y'all, all y'all know that we're going to be switching gears soon. We're going to be talking about our preview picks, trying to get some guests on the line that know their areas really well and who they think is going to be the teams to watch. So that's going to be something exciting for us to look forward to in the next coming weeks. And really, we start on the 26th. I think it's going to be an exciting season this year. I can deal with mass on, on the bench if we can play on the field. Well, Carpe Diem in Christ, God bless you and your family. Let us know what you think at Monday Night Football, A-M-N-F-U-T-B-O-L, on Twitter and on Facebook. God bless you and your families. Take care.